Welcome to the Daily Standard Podcast. It's March 12, 2018. I'm Charlie Sykes, joined by Mike Warren from the Weekly Standard. Uh, I am back in the frozen tundra after a trip out west. And Michael, you are back from a short break, too. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I, my wife had our second baby, and so uh, I took a, a little time off to help her. And, uh, you know, taking care of uh, two kids like I, I have... Um, it's a little like covering the White House, um, just in terms of the uh, the surprises that you have uh, uh, throughout your day. So uh, I feel like it was it wasn't really a rest uh, at all. No, you you've been you've had a lot of practice on this. Well, <laughs> exactly. okay, well, that's <laughs> so you probably are sleep deprived from the newborn. I'm I'm still jet lagged, so let's try to do this anyway. Let's start with Trump's wild weekend. I always try to break down. What is new and, and what's same old, same old? So let's talk about what just happened. We're hearing all of this about how, you know, Trump is unleashed. You know, he's thrown off John Kelly. You have a piece up at the Standard uh, website making the point that it's no longer shocking or surprising when Trump goes rogue, uh, but it's still notable. So what are we in for here? Well, I don't know. I mean, you, you do sort of and I've done a little bit of this over the last uh, you know year or so kind of track these moments of outbursts, which he does have. I mean, there. if we go back through the first year of the Trump presidency, it's sort of um, it's sort of like, a, a, you know, a cresting wave of of kind of uh, craziness. Uh, and I, what I mean is, is the, the, this sort of uh, tweet storms and uh, uh, rallies or things that he's uh, sort of saying in, in public settings at the White House um, that just seem like everything's out of control. And then everything kind of calms down for a couple of weeks, uh, maybe at least a week, um, in terms of his own personal um, outbursts. Uh, and then it comes back up again. And and some some of the time, uh, there seems to be something going on behind the scenes that we don't find out a lot about. There was a moment like this last summer, um, kind of uh, at the the middle of the summer. There was a moment, sort of similar to what we saw this weekend. Of um, I, th- I believe there was a rally. There were a lot of tweets, as there as there often are, that just sort of are scattershot and discursive about all all kinds of issues that are irking the president. And we found out uh, a couple of weeks later that during that time is when the the, uh, the the New York Times was working on its story about the infamous Trump Tower meeting between Don Jr. and uh, Paul Manafort and the Russian lawyer. So um, this is sort of so just, something's going. So something's going on. I mean, it's perhaps. not it's not just you know Hope Hicks left, Gary Cohn quits. You know, you got the Stormy Daniels case. You got Sam Nunberg, you know, flaming out on television. Oh, it could be all of that, um, yeah. and and something more. I mean, the the we do know a lot about the Trump White House. This is not something where. Um, you know, uh, we have to do a lot of Kremlinology because it's all there there in the open. But at the same time, there there are things that we still learn about in situations like this. And so um, I, I'm just I, I look at, at an outburst like this this weekend. You had the, the rally in Pennsylvania. Yeah, um, let's go. Let, let's go. Through yeah, that. sure. Let, let's start. Let's start with the rally in Pennsylvania, which was supposed to be about tomorrow's special election. Turned out to be about almost everything other than the special election. That's right. I think at the very top, he said uh, he he endorsed Rick Saccone, the Republican who's running in that seat, um, and 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 who is sort of uh, actually surprisingly neck and neck with the Democrat. That's a very Republican mm-hmm. seat, um, actually held by a Republican. Uh, uh, who resigned in, in disgrace uh, earlier this year, uh, or maybe late last year? Um, at, at any rate, the um, he he said that at the top. You know, I endorse Rick Saccone, and then it was 
it was almost like you know uh, bringing the uh, the old hits out from the campaign. He sort of went through uh, a bunch of uh, of different things about how great and prescient he is, the president that is, um, how the South Korean president uh, praised Trump and said uh, the uh, Olympics in Pyeongchang would not have been a success success without Trump. Um, that that sort of thing. I mean, it was sort of updated for what's going on right now you know it was not- it was a kind of a greatest hits i mean it right. was it was was all of that you know and as as you point out he's going after elizabeth pocahontas warren he's right. talking about how he wants to uh, beat oprah winfrey because he knows her weaknesses which was a little awkward in a particular moment <laughs> right. Um, we, we have we have the new slogan, "Keep America Great." It's the exclamation point, which I I I I think he ripped it off from Jeb Bush, the exclamation point. <laughs> right. you know? Yeah, and, that... and and of course uh, Chuck Todd um, uh, from uh, from NBC, who we were referred to uh, uh, eloquently as a sleeping son of a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> now I was watching that, and of course, you know, I I feel a little bit jaded about this because we've seen this so many times. He looks like he's having a good time. I mean, the, the, a lot of the media narrative is, you know, there's chaos and all of this stuff is going on. In in Donald Trump's mind, he 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 thinks this is fun, though, doesn't he? Absolutely, and I think that which he, is what scares the crap out of his staff <laughs> and other Republicans. Right, but I think he draws from. I mean. Maybe another way we can look at a weekend like this, not just the the, the rally, but uh, a lot of tweets sort of pushing back against critics of his of, of, of him and his administration's decisions on the on the steel tariffs or whatever um, is he sort of r- retreats or goes to places where he's comfortable, where he uh, and, and this was a rally that he was very comfortable in. These were people who wanted to see him. were going to cheer everything he said. And he feeds off that energy. Um, and you, you kind of almost imagine it's like, a, a you know, he, he needs to recharge his battery. And, that, and I think that's what we saw, uh, uh, you know, the, the sort of comments on the media, the people that he hates. He, he, he said Maxine Waters, the Democratic congresswoman, is a low IQ. I mean, these are all sort of riffs um, in the same uh, tone and rhythm that he always uh, always did at his campaign rallies. And that gave him a lot of energy, I think, during the campaign. This is what you're saying. We, we I, go back to what, you know, it, it's hard to say what's happening behind the scenes that we, we can't see. We see so much in front of uh, on the stage. We don't know what's going on behind the scenes. Uh, and it may just be that in all this this moment of sort of turmoil within his White House, um, he was simply look, looking for an energy boost. And, and I think he got it. He, he got it. Others, you point out, uh, you know, at one point he praised his new steel tariffs as the cause for a lot of steel mills now opening up, which is, and this is a word that I did promise when we launched this podcast I would use, that's pretty much bullshit, right? <laughs> yes. I mean, absolutely. I don't really, I mean, but this is, this is sort of, we shouldn't be surprised by this because this is the kind of, kind of casual misinformation that he, that he deals in. And it's really, not if you had gotten up there after that speech and had somebody very you know credible say well actually the you know the the president uh, that w- uh, was wrong incorrect there aren't any steel mills opening up you get the sense that the crowd doesn't really care about the, right. about the truth of it it's it's simply the the kind of experience and having been to a couple of Trump rallies during the campaign it is it's like a it's a bit like going to a you know a rock festival um, uh, but uh, but with Donald Trump and and sort of a lot of people who. Um, you know, we're going to, to rock and roll festivals like 40 years ago um, who are now sort of reliving the same experience. Um, and, and it is an experience. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great analogy. It's also the, the there, there once was it we're old enough to remember when people would do, uh, you know, very, very earnest 
fact checking every time the president spoke. And now it's kind of like you shrug your shoulders. Why bother? Uh, Larry Sabato had an interesting tweet, though, over the weekend. He said uh, last night's Trump rally proved again that vulgar antics thrill his base. The office hasn't made the man. Instead, Trump has remade the office, lowering standards of acceptable presidential behavior so far that it will take great efforts by his successors to repair the damage. And we don't know about that second half. But, uh, yeah, you, you basically do see that uh, this is the show. This is the Trump show that the Trump base really, really likes. By the way, one of the things I thought was was odd over the weekend, he lashed out at, at uh, Maggie uh, Haberman, uh, New York Times reporter, who's actually been kind of a Trump favorite up until now. Uh, we, 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 any thoughts about why why he would go after Maggie? Well, Maggie, uh, who's uh, I would argue is is, and I don't think I, anybody way, would argue with Hillary, Hillary Flunky. I mean, Hillary right. Flunky knows nothing about me and is not given access. Which is like it is. She tweeted out LOL because, of course, she's sort of notorious for the access that she has. Absolutely, to, uh, and, to and, and I Trump. And, and I don't I don't uh, sort of uh, begrudge of that at all. She's the best uh, White House reporter for this White House. It's sort of the beat that she was uh, born to have, and it's and it's true that um, and she's. She's talked about it. She's had Oval Office meetings. He 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 gives her phone calls uh, all the time. Um, he uh, she she is very very well informed, and not just from the president himself, although from him as well. So um, uh, I'm not quite sure. This is not the first time this has happened. Uh, he or members of the administration have sort of publicly criticized Maggie. Uh, it was early on in the administration. I remember um, a story that she wrote about. Uh, you know his uh, his slippers and bathrobe that he was wearing while you know in the in the residence of the White House, sort of watching cable news. They were really enraged by that detail and sort there's of. A men, there's a mental image, though. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, but but and yet she still and has and to unsee that. <laughs> right. It's a good thing this is uh, this is audio, right? Not right. video. Um, but but she, her access did not diminish after that that uh, episode. I don't think it's going to diminish after this. This is um, this is a it's a weird sort of a relationship he has with. her. Her that goes back to um, the the sort of uh, media world that they both come out of, which is the sort of New York uh, tabloid media world. Maggie's a, a veteran of the New York Post, uh, which is Trump's favorite newspaper, and I would argue actually the failing New York Times is Trump's <laughs> other newspaper. It's an example of how the president really seeks out people and, and institutions, in the case of the Times, that disapprove of him and, and and sort of needs that approval. So there's a little bit of negging going on here, I think, that uh, in calling out Maggie Haberman. Yeah, I'm going to go back to sort of the, the overall theme of the, you know, the wild weekend and that the president is uh, is unleashed. It, it, I can't remember where I saw it. somebody said, you know, this is the presidency that Donald Trump promised when he was running for office. And if, in fact, he has liberated himself uh, from the staff, we're going to be in for a rocky ride. We don't know what that actually means. But we do know in that first year how many times his impulses were restrained by the so-called adults in the room? You know, how many bad ideas Reince Priebus or even Reince Priebus working with Steve Bannon might have uh, delayed. You had people like, you know, Gary Cohn in, in the room who would remind Donald Trump that uh, Republicans used to be for for free trade. And if, in fact, it's true that he's thrown off all of those shackles, 2018 is going to be <laughs> it's going to be lit. Yeah, lit, lit <laughs> AF, as the kids say. Um, so, so by the way, so are we now going to be in favor of sentencing drug dealers to death? Uh, this is uh, something that that he's he's been mulling over, and we know how much he admires the president of the Philippines, uh, Duterte, for uh, 
the extra judicial heat, not right. saying extrajudicial, but the killing of drug dealers. Is this something we're going to be hearing more about? I don't know. I mean, and, and to your bigger question, Charlie, about about sort of the unleashed Trump. Um, is he now sort of unshackled, as as, the, as they said during the Obama administration, is the bear loose? Now, I'm a little skeptical of that. I mean, Trump is who he is, and even all of those efforts by the people you mentioned, Gary Cohn, Reince Priebus, uh, Steve Bannon, to a certain in, in a certain way, um, to restrain him. I mean, they they only they even at the time they only worked so so far and so long. Um, and and you have to remember this about about President Trump is that he is really has very few sort of uh, uh, strong hard and fast views on things. Um, these positions that he takes, he he does really sort of like I think a, a, a sort of really hard law and order position uh, as he as you mentioned with the drug dealers. But he's also very easily swayed and almost sort of says what what's what's on his mind and you're never really quite sure if he's actually going to follow through on that or if somebody else is going to speak uh, uh, sort of uh, impress upon him uh, from outside the White House he still talks to a lot of people who are outside of the White House in fact yeah. I remember being told this very early on um, sort of midway through the administration which is that some of the people he listens to the most are not actually in the room uh, in mm-hmm. in the Oval Office it's the people outside that he is sort of looking toward and saying um, hey is there anybody else out there who's got something that uh, I want to hear. Um, so it, you just can't pin him down on anything. You never really know if something like, say, the the, the executing the drug dealers, it's, it, it, is, it is sort of where probably his heart is, uh, as odd as that is to say. But whether or not it actually, there is actually any follow through on it or really any of this um, is, is hard to say, except for things like steel tariffs. I think he was always wanting yeah. to do that. That that's something he believed in. So we're now back to this image of him in the White House in his robe, uh, probably, uh, you know, late night dialing his various billionaire friends from New York, you know, asking questions like, so what do you think about this guy? Who should I? By the way, do you realize what we what I did a few minutes ago on this podcast? I actually cited Steve Bannon as possibly a restraining force <laughs> on the White House. Is there ever going to be a moment we look back on the good old days? Remember when Steve Bannon was in the White House and restraining these bizarre impulses. By the way, I know it's it's kind of a, a diversion here. You know, Steve Bannon is now, you know, since he's been sort of fallen from grace here, he's in France speaking to the National Front, telling them not to be worried about being called racist. You know, it's kind of a reminder about the, to the extent to which Bannonism represents something more like the European right than anything that American conservatives ever understood. Um, whether or not there's still you know, some of that in the Trump White House, we don't know. Uh, okay, speaking of, of the Trump White House, everybody is buzzing now about this, uh, the Betsy DeVos interview on 60 Minutes last night. Uh, she is not getting what rave reviews for all of this. Uh, Betsy DeVos has become a very, very uh, favorite punching bag of the left and the left uh, media. Uh, did you have a chance to watch that? Uh, I've only seen some clips, which um, I would say, you know, um, less than impressive. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've only I've, I'm like you, Charlie. I've only seen clips. I haven't sort of sat down and watched the whole 60 minutes interview. But I think I saw the the, the relevant clips um, uh, that that uh, that everybody's talking about. She's not a great, uh, I think, spokes spokeswoman for uh, her positions. Um, uh, she really does come from a sort of philanthropy background on on this school choice, uh, you know, uh, topic. Um, so she did not uh, she, she did not represent herself or the positions very well. But you also have to remember that 
um, the, 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 the sort of the pro, uh, it's it's primed. There, there's a, a whole group of people on the internet on the left who are sort of right. primed to hate anything Betsy DeVos says. And I got to say that I thought, um, you know, people thought uh, uh, Leslie Stahl sort of gave uh, DeVos enough rope to hang herself with. But uh, and this is typical of Leslie Stahl. She's very uh, uh, sort of heavily uh, biased uh, against whatever DeVos had to say. It was sort of uh, challenging her uh, on uh, what was what is essentially uh, kind of uh, uh, pedestrian uh, views on school choice that a lot of Republicans and conservatives have. Um, she's again, DeVos is not a very good represent representative of those views, uh, but they're not exactly far outside the mainstream. Well, of you know that's, that that was position. what was 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 frustrating to me because of, I I'm a big supporter of school choice and um, I agree with her on most of the positions. So to see her. Uh, flailing around on it. And of course, I'm sorry to go back to this whole thing, but I, I would like to see some of the edits uh, of uh, of that of That's that right. interview. That's right. I, no, I, I, you know, but uh, you, you, you mentioned, uh, and, and I think you put your finger on it, you know, she comes from the philanthropic background and there's, uh, there, might as well just say this, you know, one of, the, one of the disadvantages of being as rich as Betsy DeVos is that she's probably not used to being around people who've challenged her before. That's right. No, she's probably used to being. I mean, this is a syndrome that people have when you're in the room and, you, and you're the richest person in the room, and you be, you start thinking you're the smartest person in the room, or you keep saying things that are kind of in the loop of cliches, uh, the talking points, and nobody pushes back. So that you know, in her head, she's been saying the same things over and over and over again, and until she sits down and somebody says, "Well, does that actually make sense?" I do wonder, and I had the same question after her Senate confirmation hearing, who the hell is in charge of prepping her for these things? Who pushes her out as unprepared as she looked? And and, and again, that raises just questions about uh, competency, because this is one of those issues that I think even non-Trump conservatives will think, okay, this is something we agree on. This is important to get kids out of failing school. No one should be compelled to go to a failing school. And, you know, in my head, I was just imagining how she could have pushed back on Leslie Stahl talking about these underperforming schools and and about a system that traps kids in these underperforming schools. And instead, she kind of had that deer in the headlights look. I, I think, Charlie, this sort of speaks to a larger concern than a lot of uh, sort of uh, conservatives uh, here in Washington, people who sort of care about the, the kind of policy wonks on not just school choice, but a lot of different sort of conservative policy issues uh, uh, were concerned about in the Trump administration. You asked sort of who prepares somebody like Betsy DeVos. Well, this is an administration that has had a very hard time even finding sort of uh, uh, the, the, the pool of, of available conservatives and Republicans uh, – uh, was 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 shrunk either because it's the Trump administration and those people don't want to work for that administration, or they the the, the Trump folks have actually uh, blocked certain people who were not sufficiently pro-Trump from joining the administration. So you have a sort of smaller pool of available and competent people. And what this ultimately does for a lot of these issues that 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 conservatives care about, they say, well, you sort of have to make a devil's bargain and go along with Trump because you got to get your issue through. Is you end up. Uh, actually hurting your issue's credibility. There was a great piece in in BuzzFeed uh, a couple of weeks ago that looked at how you know, school choice was has been in the past uh, and really up till now a bipartisan issue. There's actually a lot of Democrats uh, and, and liberals who have made this uh, a, a, an issue and made inroads in places where there are no conservatives or Republicans in, in, in a lot of the cities. Uh, and there's a shift, uh, this piece argued, uh, among 
uh, among Democrats uh, back toward the teachers' unions, uh, who are obviously a big constituency within the Democratic Party. And, and a lot of the blame, they say, uh, these sort of pro-school choice Democrats say, goes to the Trump administration. The association of school choice and Betsy DeVos with that issue has hurt that issue. And that's a problem yeah, if you want to get anything done on that issue. No, it's, it, it is a huge problem. And, of course, uh, now she's going to be hitting up the school safety task force. Okay, uh, we're running out of time here, but uh, easiest question of the day. On a scale of 1 to 10, how surprised were you that President Trump backed off on raising the age for buying the AR-15 uh, to 21? Not surprised. Nothing surprises me uh, about walking back zero. or anything. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> zero, I should say. Yeah, sorry, zero. Negative five. Yeah. Well, I, I, and, I, and I have to say that of all the proposals, that was the least uh, – the least compelling. I'm not sure that they, the age limits is really the, the problem that we're dealing with, and especially given the fact that we have uh, young men uh, who are in uniform, who are um, under 21, and we, we allow them to use some pretty serious firepower. I'm not sure that was the answer, but I guess it was, of course, ironic that uh, the president uh, mocks and ridicules Republicans you know, at that meeting for being afraid of the NRA, and then within 24 hours, he turns around and you know meets with the NRA and essentially ad- adopts their agenda. I did. I saw somebody else. This is my problem of you know reading Twitter when I'm on an airplane. I would like to give credit where credit is due. If somebody like a Marco Rubio had flip flopped that dramatically, it would haunt him his entire political career. But the genius, and again, I, I wish I could quote who it was. I'm, I'm just, the 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 superpower of Donald Trump is that. He, he knows there will be no consequences for a flip-flop like that. He, he, he has really no sense of shame. And so whereas this would be a defining moment for so many other politicians, we're probably going to forget about it next week. Totally. Absolutely. And I'll just say real quick, Charlie, on that point, um, uh, the, the senator that he uh, – one of the senators that he uh, sort of sent that, uh, you know, you're for afraid of the NRA uh, message to was Pat Toomey, who's a yeah, good Pat conservative Toomey. who actually did propose some legislation. The NRA opposed several years ago after Newtown uh, about uh, about guns. Um, so it just goes to show you uh, nothing matters. Well, thanks for listening to the Daily Standard podcast. Uh, thanks, Mike, for for and by the way, welcome back. And thanks Thank for you. stepping in for you know after this wild weekend, we'll probably take a look at what's going to happen in Pennsylvania. Uh, in that special election, uh, that uh, grotesquely overanalyzed special election. But that's what we do here. Um, that's what keeps us employed. That's what we do. I'm Charlie Sykes. We'll talk tomorrow.